glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, please. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. We'll begin reading verse 17. This is the, this is the laying out of the, of the particulars for the various pieces of furniture for the tabernacle. Verse 17, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, we'll intentionally tie this into a number of New Testament texts of the Lord's help to help us see the typology and the analogy that's made here. So again, we're calling this series Shadows of Salvation. We want to tie it to that. If I'm saved this morning, I was saved by realizing my lost state, my sinful condition, under the light of God's Word. I would remind us this morning that our first point for the outline's sake is the plans that are given for the laver or the pattern, whichever you want to choose. Uh, The plans or the pattern, just as the pattern for the brazen altar the pattern and plan for the laver came from who? Came from God. Can you imagine if, if Moses went down and said, okay, we're going to construct a tabernacle. This is the way that the curtains are going to be around the outer court. They're going to be uh, uh, wood overlaid with gold, and there's going to be brass, and there's going to be five about five and a half feet tall or seven and a half feet tall. It's going to go all the way around. It's going to be this long. And everybody's like, okay, I like that. And then we're going to have this altar made of brass with horns. Okay, I like that. And then we say, we've got to have a laver. And uh, we hear the word lavatory on an airplane. Same, same idea, a wash place, right? That's the idea. It's a wash basin. And somebody says, no, 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 no. We don't need that. We don't need that. And Moses said, well, that's what we're going to do. And they said, no, 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 no. We think it would be better. We don't mind a wash basin, but let's do it like this. And Moses said, no, it's got to be, it's got to have the base made of brass. And the laver's got to be made of brass. And it's going to be, uh, there's going to be water in there. And they said, well, it should be before the brazen altar. And Moses says, no, the brazen altar is right there at the gate. And somebody says, no, no. And by the way, it would be hard to imagine any of, the, of his brethren wanting to argue about the pattern. They never did that kind of thing, right? But let's say this is going on, and Moses says, no, this way it's going to be. And they're like, well, that's your idea. Your idea is no better than mine. What would Moses say? Not my idea. I'm just telling you what God said. So we're reminded this morning that the pattern for the tabernacle was handed down from heaven. It wasn't Moses' brainchild. It wasn't Moses' blueprint. As we've been looking at the local church in Sunday school, we would be well to be reminded it's not, it's not a, it is not a human blueprint. The blueprint for the local church is from God, just as the physical tabernacle is where God met with man uh, during the Old Testament period as the children of Israel went through the wilderness. Even so, God has established that he will represent himself in the bodies of believers today. I'm mean, excited that God had a tabernacle pitched and we have that pattern. But today we have such a truth that today God has said, I will tabernacle. For a period of time he tabernacled and came in the very person of Jesus Christ. Then he ascended back to heaven, gave his Holy Spirit to believers, and today God tabernacles on earth through his people, bought with his blood. And therefore, and we approach God according to this pattern laid out. I'm just trying to remind us this morning that the plans and the pattern that are laid out here were not Moses' idea about how to approach God. They were God's design and plan as a portrait of, this is how you have to approach me. I am holy. There is no sin in me. You are unholy. Only blood, the shed blood of a sinless substitute can deal with your sins against me. But as we approach God in communion and fellowship, the Bible tells us, for instance, in James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God tells us to draw nigh and we do so by getting clean. So this morning as we deal with the laver, we're dealing with cleanliness, purity, holiness. Our lives are blotted with things that 
trouble our conscience and we understand that between us and God that is satisfied as far as forgiveness is concerned, as far as pardon is concerned, that's satisfied at the cross. But as far as practicality is concerned, do you really believe you can say, I have faith in Jesus Christ to forgive me for being a drunkard or a fornicator or a haughty, arrogant, proud, self-willed person, and I'm going to continue to be proud, haughty, self-willed, arrogant, blasphemous, and walk with God. Because he forgave me for that. Something's missing there, wouldn't you say? The brazen altar was intended to bring men to repentance and faith. To see the picture of our sin portrayed in the horrors taking place on that brazen altar. To acknowledge and recognize, I deserve what is being given there for my blasphemy, for my deceit, for my lust, for adultery, fornication. Let's just on and on with our spiritual or physical sin, the idolatry of my heart. I deserve to be on that altar, but instead that innocent animal is there in my place. And today the equivalent is, I deserve to be on the cross. I should have had the wrath of God, yet Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, took my place. Then that should bring us to the water of God's Word to say, then I want out of my life the things that require that sacrifice to be made. Why should we keep things that we know we're responsible for putting our Savior on the cross? If I'm for Christ and against my sin, then I should not see Christ as a permission to sin, but as a purifying of it. (laughs) This morning, the laver comes next because you know what happened at that altar? You got your hands bloody. And before you're going to go in and serve God, you got to get cleansed. And this morning, I don't want us to miss the practicality of the fact that this, the, the, the primary application of this message today is not, we don't go to the laver to save ourselves. We go to the laver because we're saved. We don't go to the laver to offer it. Do you realize at the laver no sacrifice was made that had already been done? But the laver was a place to acknowledge that I have outward filth that doesn't match the inward cleansing I just received. We are to live lives that are, that are, that are becoming of godliness and becoming, the Bible says, of holiness. We're to be holy for the Lord our God is holy. There is a, and I mentioned this, but it needs to be mentioned, there is a, there is almost a campaign by certain today who claim to be Christians against purity in the life of a Christian. And may I say this? There, you cannot make your inward heart pure by cleansing or purifying your body. That's why the idea of water baptism saving anybody is ludicrous. All that does is wash your body. But if your soul has been washed by faith in Jesus Christ, that baptism is a picture of what took place with you. That you have been immersed in the righteousness of Christ and now you're a new creature. Therefore, we are to walk in newness of life. So I began by saying, let's just remind ourselves and be reminded the pattern that we see and the plans that were handed down were from God. They were divinely originated. And so then we know there's a divine purpose in why they're given. It wasn't by accident. So then let's consider, in the plans for the laver, the material it was to be made with, we're still making it of brass. So you've been at the brazen altar where we see our sin judged by the sacrifice of a substitute. Okay? But then we come to the laver, we're still dealing with brass, which is pictures judgment. It pictures judgment. very interesting. And speaking to the men in the jail about this, they say, yeah, it's kind of like saying brass tax. That, that kind of deals with judgment, doesn't it? I, say, yeah, I think you're on the right, the, right, the right track there. But brass throughout the Bible deals with judgment. But I'm going to understand there are two different kinds of judgment in the Bible, or at least various kinds of judgment. There's the judgment of God where he is going to judge all men. But the Bible refers to Christians having need to do what? Judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Matthew 7, Jesus says the same thing. That if you, uh, he says, Judge not, uh, lest ye be judged. For with what judgment you judge, so shall it be meted to you. Then he says, How are you going to be able, I'll paraphrase, paraphrase, to get the mote out of your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own? So then he goes on to explain what ju- righteous judgment is. Judge yourself first. How many this morning, before you walked out of the house, judged yourself ready for church? I'm ready. Dawson told me, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. He had a dream last night. He dreamed he came to church in his pajamas. How embarrassing. Every preacher's had that nightmare, I promise you. Uh, 
Can you imagine showing up? I knew a man one time. He, he showed up at work in his pajamas. He forgot to get dressed. Uh, you'd have to know him. But it happened. You know what? He judged himself ready to walk out the door, but it was a false judgment. Now, this morning, I'm assuming some spent longer, some spent less, uh, and if that's obvious, in front of a mirror. The only way you can judge your physical appearance is by a mirror or someone that loves you enough to tell you the absolute hard truth. How do I look? You really want to know? Really what you want to know is, do I have food in my teeth? Is my hair comb what little bit I got? Am I ready to walk out the door? Do I look terrible? Do I have a big blotch on me I'm not seeing? You know as well as I, for the only way for us to judge ourselves is you've got to have a clear and honest reflection of who you are. That brings us to the composition of this laver. It's made out of? Brass, well, turn to Exodus 38, if you would, but not just brass. This is the only piece, the only article in the the, the whole uh, tabernacle that I'm aware of that the brass came from a specific place. Exodus chapter 38, verse 8. This is after Bezalel gets the materials and is constructing it. It's the the record of his construction of the tabernacle. Verse 8, and he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So even all those 3,500 years ago, you know what the ladies had? Looking glasses. Then they were made of brass. Now, this had to be very polished brass. So they could look and say, how am I doing today? How am I looking? Right? This is the only piece to where it was made of the looking glasses of the women meaning it was polished enough you could clearly see your own reflection. If you were looking down at the base, guess what you could see? You could look at your own feet. What you might miss from the top view, you could look like this and say, yeah, okay, all right, clean, ready to go. You could hold your hands down and look, look at them with your own eyes and then reflect them in the brass. But above all, you could put your own face in the reflection of that brass and see what you really look like. There's a little fable, an African fable I read to our children by missionary Paul White, and I really enjoyed it. It's about a hippopotamus, and he's convinced because a monkey flattered him that he's beautiful. And he's just dying to get a look at himself in a mirror. The monkey friend says, oh, i got a mirror you can look at. And when he shows him the reflection of himself, you know what the response is? He stomps it to smithereens. So there's no way what I'm looking at in that mirror is me. That's too ugly. You know why so many people move back from this book? Because the image it shows us of ourselves doesn't line up with our self-image. You know why they needed a laver? After leaving the brazen altar, it is easy to forget what we really are like in the sight of God. I think if we all knew and could see ourselves in the sight of God, if we could see ourselves the way God sees us in His holiness, we would be in dust and ashes on our faces. The only way for pride to grow is to have a false view of self. The only way. It's why truth is paramount. It's why truth is paramount. It is easy to build a self-image that's based on every good thing I can think of about myself and I put it in one conglomeration while ignoring all the things I don't like about myself or that others might not. Pride is nothing more than a false self-image. You know how the world promotes self-image? <laughs> because it's full of pride. God wants us to have an accurate view of ourselves. So as we see the plans for the laver, it's very quick we can start perceiving the purpose. And I'll say more about that. Our final point is the purpose of it. But the plans are laid out. It's made of brass. But it's not just made of any brass. It's made of the looking glasses of the women so that there is a clear reflection in this brass of the person that's looking inside. Now, we also see there's a base. Every time the laver is mentioned, it says the laver and his foot. So it takes a base to hold that laver up. I think it would be, I would, I would be doing a disservice if after the Sunday school lesson this morning, not to be reminded that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. You know what we can liken ourselves today to as a church? A base to a laver. A place where the water of God's word can be provided so that God's people can come and get a true reflection of self, get cleaned up so we're ready to serve a holy God. Amen? Remember years ago, we've lost something in our culture. And I don't want to preach a lot about culture. It doesn't do a lot of good other than to compare it with God's word. 
years ago, I hired on at a job. It was a job I had before I moved here. It was a lawn care company. My boss is what you would call an old school boss, I suppose, in those days. The man before me had gotten fired for refusing to get a haircut. His hair laid on his shoulders. The boss said, no, here, if you're going to work here, you keep your hair trimmed. You wear a hat with the logo of the company. We had uniforms. You wear those. You stay tucked. You wear the boots you're assigned. I mean, it was, he was retired military police, so you can kind of figure where some of this came from. I loved working for him. He's a friend of mine, dear friend to this day. But when I worked there, he had no qualms about saying, this is a company that we want to be an honorable company. We want a good name, and we want you to reflect the values and the morals of this company in your personal conduct. Be truthful with our customers and so forth. But here's what we want in your appearance. You know, it's sad today, and I'm not trying to take a physical principle and apply it to spiritual truth, but we have a holy God, a holy God who won't touch lying with a hundred-foot pole. God cannot lie. And yet there are people that are God's children who have no problem with having their entire lives spotted with deceit. And they're doing nothing to have that cleansed from life. It's become normal for people to live duplicitous lives. I'm one person at church. I'm another person at work. I'm another person at home. But hey, I am a, I am a servant of God. No, you're not. No. Doing something and saying I'm doing that for God doesn't make me his servant. I may be saved. I may have had my sins forgiven. But we're going to see in the scripture, God says, when it comes to preparing for service, you want to get closer to God, then we have to become more like Him. Let me ask you this today. How much bitterness this morning is in the heart of God toward His creation? Let's deal with spiritual sins before we deal with physical. How much bitterness is in the heart of God? None. Here's why. Because bitterness is sin. Bitterness is prolonged anger based in selfish motive. It's really, when you deal with wrath, that's an, a, a, a swift explosion. Now, God has wrath, but his wrath is intentional. And the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of God is righteous. Okay, so wrath, anger. Wrath is that fast explosion of, I can't believe what you just did to me. Anger is, I still can't believe what you did to me. Bitterness is 20 years later, and I still can't believe what you did with me, and I am never going to let it go. You with me? Now, God is angry, but God is just and merciful all at the same time. How long would it take God to forgive a person that repented toward him and put faith in his son? He's ready right now. He tells you he's not bitter. You go on down the line. There is no sin in God. And you know what hinders fellowship with God? The Bible says that, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is, there's nothing about his character that he needs to conceal that if you knew, you wouldn't trust him. That's when it says God is light and in him is no darkness. It's not going to be like one day we're going to find out, oh, I had no idea what a fiend God really is. No, God has nothing about his character that he has concealed from us. He is exactly who he declares. He has all power, but he's all merciful. He has everlasting uh, mercy, if you would. His mercy never runs dry. The point is this this morning. Unlike us, God is holy. There's nothing defiling, impure, nothing uh, nothing, nothing evil in God in the sense of, of sin. There's no, none with Him. There's no sin with God. The Lord Jesus Christ came, the Bible says, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And when you and I got saved, the Bible likens that to being reconciled. That's what it calls it. We are reconciled to God. Meaning we had wronged Him, but in acknowledging our wrong against Him, He offered us and gave us forgiveness for the wrongs we've done. Therefore, we've acknowledged my, my lying, my immorality, my covetousness. Lord, you are right. All of that is bad. And if that's true and we're in agreement with God, then our lives need to reflect that. What is it that Colossians and Ephesians both tells us? If we're in Christ, we are to put off the old man and put on the new. You know, he's saying you need cleansed. When you got saved, you had habits of life that are not of God. For me, I was a little child when I got saved. But you know what? As that little child, I had already established two primary life habits by that age. And that was two, two things primarily. That sin was manifesting itself in a mighty way. Number one, consistent disobedience to my parents. On purpose, and then when I did, deceit. I would lie. I would act like I didn't. 
the third deceit, I suppose, another form of deceit, I would lie about my siblings. And it didn't take long to convince me you're going to hell because you are deceitful and disobedient and God is right and you are wrong and Jesus had to die because of what you are. And I put my trust in him. You know what that registered in my conscience? Now that I've been forgiven for those things, it's not right that I should continue in them. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Romans 6, 1 and 2. So that's what brings us to the brazen altar. And if we're not going to, then we have to take a a real look. If you're a saved person here this morning, you and I need to have a true and honest look at ourselves. How can you put off the old man if you're not aware that it's still on you? You with me? How how in the world can we put off covetousness if we're not aware it's there? How can I put off bitterness and anger and malice and strife? How can I put off uncleanness and lasciviousness if I'm not aware it's on me? You with me this morning? God forgave me for those things when he saved me, but he doesn't want them on my life. And thus we have a laver. Following the brazen altar was the laver, a place made of this brass that you could see yourself in, the base a tremendous picture of the church. The other thing I would say about the base is it got that laver where it was accessible to man. You know what God has done? He has made the laver of His Word accessible to us. If you're a Christian here this morning and you do not have a clear perception of your spiritual state, meaning you can't clearly see where the old man is still on you and the new man has not been placed and you've not been purified in a practical way, it's not because God has not given you a tool whereby you can judge yourself. The laver was on a base so that the man could walk up to it and it was accessible to him. God gave the pattern so that the, the reflection that would be seen there and the water that was available to correct what could be seen that was wrong was available and accessible. And when, when it comes to our Bible this morning, this is the laver right here. This book is the laver. And as we look in this, it has been made available. It's authorized by God, handed down from God to men like the pattern for that laver was. It's been made available and accessible this morning on a Sunday morning. You are able not only to read your Bible, God has been gracious enough to allow you to have a place where you can hear it preached and taught regardless of the vessel that's bringing it. The point is God makes it available and His Word is available to us today and we should be very grateful. So the plans, we see the brass and the base tell us of the authority the, 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 the reflection that it would give and the base there, I believe, does speak so much of the local church holding it up. It speaks of the fact that God has made this thing available where those who would serve him can come and have access to it. Number two, not only the plans, but the placement. We've said enough about this. I don't just, I'm just going to give you the points. It was following the brazen altar. If the laver had come first, it would misrepresent true salvation. You don't save yourself by cleaning up your life. I'm going to say that again. You don't save yourself by cleaning up your life. Don't try to get somebody saved by saying, just go live by the Bible. Until you've come to the cross, you can't live by the Bible. Until you've acknowledged that what Jesus did on the cross is the only atonement for your sin, the Bible doesn't do you any good. It won't clean you up. It'll just frustrate you. You must come to the cross first. The brazen altar preceded the laver because you must have pardon from God before you can have purification of life. That's a Bible pattern. Let me ask you this. You say, can you establish that from the New Testament? Absolutely. When Jesus came, there was ten lepers. Okay, There were ten lepers that came to Jesus there in the Gospel of Luke. I believe it's chapter 17, but I'm not sure. And they came and they cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on us, thou son of David. And he said, I tell you what, go to the priest and cleanse yourself first and then come back. And if you're able to get cleaned up, then I'll do a miracle. No. What happened first? The cleansing? The cleansing outwardly? The washing and the presentation of the priest? Or the word of God immediately healed them by a miracle? Jesus didn't say, if you can clean yourself up, then I'll think about doing it for you, final and full. No, immediately he spoke and his word made their leprosy go away. Then he said, now go show yourself to the priest. There were no conditions. And by the way, he didn't say, and if you don't show yourself to the priest, I'll give you your leprosy back. That's the gospel a lot of people preach. If you don't live according to the forgiveness you receive, meaning if you go to the brazen altar and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't go to the laver, why, you lose that forgiveness. Not in the Bible. I find another leper that came to Jesus and he said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I love what Jesus said next. He said, I will. Be thou clean. Then the Bible says he touched him. <gasps> the man had leprosy. You're not supposed to touch lepers. 
How many have ever heard of, of purification passing from the well to the diseased? Well, it's always the other way around. Disease spreads to the, to the well. But Jesus touched the leper and said, I will be thou clean. You know what the man was? Immediately clean. Then he said, go show thyself the priest. My point is this. God's way of salvation is cleansing comes through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleansing before God. But now that I'm clean in the sight of God, I need to live clean in the sight of men. The laver was intended to wash what part of the priest? Their hands and their feet. Their hands and their feet. That deals with outward. Now that you're clean inward, let's clean you up up on the outside. I say this often, but there's a false teaching in our day that says God sees the heart. It doesn't matter what man sees. Friend, that is not what the Bible says. Jesus said cleanse first that which is within, that that which is within and without may be clean. You know what the, you know what the, the placement of the laver says? God wants the inside of you clean first. You must be born again. Don't try to clean up a sinner who is still unconverted to Jesus Christ. It won't work. That's what Phariseeism is. Clean up the outward man, but leave the adultery in the heart and leave the covetousness in the heart. Leave it as a sin concealed. Leave it as a sin unrepented of, but pretend you're not. You realize that's what false religion is? Pretending you're righteous when you're wicked. But you know what true religion is? Showing that you're righteous because you've been made righteous. When the heart is clean, then we need cleaned up outwardly as well. The placement of the laver tells us of God's order. You must first have the cleansing work of Jesus Christ applied to your heart and soul. The clearing of your conscience that God has forgiven you for your offenses. Now because you've been forgiven, go to the laver of God's word and let it cleanse you. Amen? That's God's way. The cleansing of the inward man first and then the outer man. And so that's the placement of the altar, following the brazen altar. But listen, it didn't only follow the brazen altar, it was forward of the sanctuary. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You realize for the New Testament saint who is saved, there are clear instructions that say, if we ask things of God amiss, he will not answer us. Meaning if we ask so that we can try to use God to consume on our own lust, God has promised not to hear and answer that prayer. You realize where you're headed. You've come from the brazen altar. You're about to go in and handle the bread of life, the unleavened bread. You know what? We want to minister God's word to other people, do we not? Don't minister it with dirty hands. Get, in the hands, get your hands in the word of God and get them cleaned up. You do filthy things with your hands. You can't serve. Some, some young men, I, I praise God for you. You're called to the ministry, but you hear me well. Before you're ever going to go serve God in ministry, you've got to have a clean life. You don't need to be handing out God's word with filthy fornicating hands or filthy deceitful tongues. Amen? This, this laver was forward of the sanctuary. The Bible makes it clear that sanctuary was the sanctuary of service. It was about handling the bread. The priest every day would put that unleavened bread. Can you imagine putting unleavened bread on the table of showbread with leavened hands? It was about giving and trimming the lamps over here and keeping light uh, where people, men could see. It was about offering up incense and prayers to God. The Bible says of us men, we're to pray without wrath and doubting. This morning, gentlemen, we want a prayer life that's going to count. I'm going to tell you something. We'll, we'll make, we say... I love America. What can we do to make a difference? Get serious about your prayer life. Get serious about your communion with God. Find out why is it the prayer closet is abhorrent. Why is it I want to stay away from it? Get that matter dealt with. If there's wrath, I'm not going to be praying. Do you realize the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that if there's contention between husband and wife, it hinders our prayer. Husband and wife that are angry at each other, that are miffed at each other, that are squabbling and unresolving, not behaving God's way. Do you realize that shuts down my prayer life? I need to get into the laver of God's word and get cleaned up then. I'm getting a little ahead of myself this morning, but the fact is, this laver was after the, was after the brazen altar, meaning this is not about forgiveness and salvation, but it is prerequisite to service. I want to handle the bread of life. I want to handle the light of God's word. I want to offer up prayers on behalf of other people. I'll say this, one of the key parts of us getting in fellowship and communion with God is what 1 John 1, 9 talks about. If we confess 
our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not talking about when you got saved because John didn't say if you confess our, your sins. He said if we confess our sins. How many believe John was in need of salvation when he wrote 1 John? He said if we, including himself, confess our sins. It's talking about fellowship. How can we fellowship with God when we don't agree with Him? If God looks at me and says, Nevin, your attitude is horrible. And I think, there's nothing wrong with my attitude. Think about the Laodicean church. And and, and I appreciate you bearing with me. I'm a little scattered here this morning. Think about the Laodicean church. Jesus' view of the Laodicean church was what? You're poor and wretched and miserable and naked and blind. That's how Jesus saw that church. How did the Laodiceans see their church? We are probably the best church that's ever existed. We're rich. We have so much. We're increased with goods. We have a lot and then we got more. (laughs) We're in need of nothing. We have a building. We have nice pews. We have a nice platform. We have people. We have lots of people. We have more people. We're rich, increased with goods and in need of nothing. Now, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They had all kinds of stuff. Guess who they did not have inside the church? Him. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, their view of themselves was, we're great. His view of them was, you're horrible. You think they were in fellowship? He said, if any man will open the door, I will come in and will sup with him. You know what sup is? It means we'll fellowship. May I say this? When we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, we're not in fellowship. We're not. Do you know why we get irritated sometimes with people that are more godly than us? They see us more the way God does than the way we do. Sometimes we get around somebody, may I find, let me say this. You find somebody that has a conviction to you and make them your best friend. Find someone whose personal life and walk with God irritates you, not because they're self-righteous and holier than thou. That's not true holiness. But if you and I aren't where we're supposed to be, that may be the way it hits us. <laughs> find someone who's shedding light on you, someone who is, a, who is a challenge to you spiritually, someone whose prayer life challenges you, someone whose personal devotion to God and it's evident in their life challenges you. Get around them. Amen? What is our tendency? Get away from that. We need to be near it. And so the point is this this morning. The placement of the laver was intentional. It followed the brazen altar because it wasn't, about, it wasn't about forgiveness. It preceded fellowship and service because it was about that. Because of what was done at the brazen altar, now you can prepare and be purified through the water of God's word. Now finally, we've seen the, the plans laid out by the authority of God made accessible to man. We see that in the brass and in the base. Then the placement, it's following the brazen altar, but it's forward of the sanctuary. Thirdly, the purpose. And it says already, we're just going to give you words to articulate this, the purpose. Number one, the purpose of the laver was for perception. Perception. Meaning, there's two things in the Bible that tell us we have in order to see ourselves clearly. And we have in James chapter 1, turn there if you would. James chapter 1. You're familiar with this text? The Bible's talking about the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. James chapter 1, in verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know what deceiving our own selves is? We have a false perception of who we are. Deceiving your own selves, verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. What was the laver made of? The looking glasses of the women. So you you hear God's word. You're like a man beholding your natural or your physical face in the glass. For beholdeth himself, he looks and gets a clear image of himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But look at verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that spiritual looking glass, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let me give you a very practical illustration. How many times have we sat under the preaching of God's word and something that was said from scripture as applied to life pricked my conscience and gave me an image of myself that I thought, ooh, I didn't know I was, I didn't realize that. This happened very recently in my life. I was listening to a sermon. I thought, ooh. Had I not heard that sermon today, I would have not seen this in my life. 
but a faithful man of God opening the Bible. He's never met me, preached the Bible. I heard him preach, and it showed me something in my character that's out of kilter. But my conduct that needs corrected. That's the intent of the Bible. It's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When God begins to show us something about ourselves that lowers our self-image, what is our temptation in the flesh? Don't ever read that verse again. That scares me. I'm going to have to change my view of myself. I'm going to have to have a lower self-image. So you know what we do? There are certain texts in the Bible. We see it coming and we either figure out how to shut it off internally or we just don't read it. You know what we need to do? If a text in the the Bible dings your conscience, go back to it. And stay in there until you figure out why it bugged you. Stay in there until the truth of God shines through and gives you the truth. And you can see yourself and I can see myself the way God wants us to see. You know what? One of the things we're most terrified to see is us. If I saw what I was really like, I could not be happy with myself. That's exactly what brings revival. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Why do we do that? Because I finally saw me the way God does. Here I thought of myself as a moral, upstanding, diligent kind of a guy, but the more I get in the Bible, the more I see myself as a worm in the dirt. Is that why not David called himself, I'm a worm? Did David not call himself a dog? Did David not say you're pursuing a flea? You realize David's descriptions of himself? I'm a flea. I'm a dog. I'm a worm. Now we know I was a good man of God's own heart. David didn't say I'm a king. He said, me? A king? Who am I? Some of us, we wonder why God hadn't asked us to be a king yet. He doesn't know what he's missing if he could get me to be in charge. Pride is the number one ruination of our nation today among the lost and among the saved. One of the most unpopular places to be on a Sunday morning day is a church that will give us a true self-image through the preaching of God's Word. That's not a reflection on God's Word. It's a poor reflection on us. The number one purpose of the laver was that the priest could go and see himself truly. The Bible likens itself to a looking glass. We're not to listen to it on Sunday and close it up till next Sunday or we'll forget what manner of man we were. You know what? If you heard something today preached and the Spirit of God pricked your heart, pray about it first. I encourage you, come to the altar when you have a chance. Bow your knee. Say, Lord, you spoke to me today. Now, would you help me go forward and figure out what to do about it? Because you know what else? The library was not only there for perception, how, how disappointing would it be if you came to this brass looking glass and you saw, ugh, look at my hands, they're filthy. My feet, oh my, look at this on my face. I got a blood splotch on my face over here from when I was making the sacrifice. But you couldn't do anything about it. You know what was in that looking glass? Water. So you could not only see what was wrong, it was there to correct what was wrong. If you'd gotten besmudged with some dirt or some blood or all the above, you could say, you know, I've got a blemish in my character. I can apply that water to the problem and it'll change me. You know what the Bible does? It'll change you. This book has changed the way that instrument operates. This book has purified my vocabulary. And if you're saved and love God, it's purified yours too. Well, I'm saved and I love God, but I still use filthy language. You got something wrong, friend. You don't use filthy language if you love God. You need to get in the laver of God's Word and let it clean your tongue up. One of the most, one of the most horrendous testimonies for Christ is a person who claims to be Christian has got a potty mouth. Well, I can't help but use God's name in vain. Then get your heart right with God and quit using His name in vain. You sound angry. I am. We ought to be. I don't mean sinfully angry. Shouldn't we be upset when brothers and sisters use our Father's name in vain? Amen. (laughs) So here's what I'm trying to say to you. The Word of God, it's the laver that gives perception, but you know what else it does? It gives purification. Psalm 119, verse 9. Many of you could quote this with me right now. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Can I give some practical applications this morning? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've got something that is troubling your conscience. You say, I know I'm saved, 
I believe in what Christ did for me on the cross. I've accepted it at a personal level. I've received God's forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. But my life does not reflect that. I've got a filthy thought life. Let me help you with something this morning. If you know through the Word of God that your thought life is out of order, you have a book that will wash that thing clean. If every time you want to think on something unclean, you fill it with the Word of God, I promise you, you can replace the filth with purity. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way, or young lady, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know the Bible doesn't only instruct us not to think on the filthy. It says whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That just made you get rid of your television. Or at least the programming that's on it. You know what the world produces? Lies, filth. Is it not true? They, 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 they misrepresent God. They misrepresent sin. They misrepresent the world. My point is this. We're to think on things true and pure. If you'll fill your mind and heart with the Word of God, it's the water of God's Word. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus prays, Father, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. I, I believe this. What happens is we, we, we appreciate the brazen altar and what Christ did for us on the cross. But sadly, it may be a while since we've made a trip to the laver to get a true perception of ourself, for the Word of God to show us there's covetousness in your heart. There's actually bitterness. You know what's a wonderful thing, though? I'll say it again. The Word of God not only reveals bitterness, it teaches us forgiveness. The water of God's Word will remove the bitterness from your heart. It not only teaches us not to lust and covet, it teaches us to be content with such things as we have. It not only reveals deceitfulness, it teaches truthfulness. You with me? It not only teaches to, to stay away from the impurities that defile, it teaches us to put on holiness and godliness. The water of God's Word will change you. It'll wash the old off, and, but you've got to get to it first. One message on Sunday won't do it. You're going to have to stay in this book daily until finally God helps us see ourselves the way we really are. The purpose of the laver was perception. The purpose of the laver is purification. Let me read again another verse on purification, Ephesians chapter 5. Speaking of the church, the collective, it's how he purifies the individual. But may I ask, one of the reasons we believe in the preaching and teaching of God's word is because God wants a pure people and it's the word of God that purifies us, makes us a church that's useful to him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24, therefore is the church uh, is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word of God purifies. Let me put it to you this way. And I just want to be practical before we move on. I'm not try- I, don't want to, I don't want to ride a hobby horse, but this is a burden of my soul. If I am spending six hours a day on media produced by God-hating, sin-loving, sin-promoting people, and I'm spending 15 minutes in my Bible. Am I going to be pure? And I don't care. It can be in the form of news. It can be in the form of entertainment. But we are in a, a culture driven by needing something that's produced by godless people in front of our face. Friend, we would do well to displace that with time in God's Word. One of the reasons we have so much impurity in churches is little of the Bible and a lot of everything else. It's the Word of God that washes us. If we're halfway honest, we get in the... How many have ever come across a character in the Bible? I, I'll just, I'm going to be very transparent with you this morning. I read the character of Jacob in the book of Genesis. I don't like him. Now, he's a righteous man. But if you like Jacob, something's like, why would you? He was a deceiver and a conniver. He, he was very selfish for most of his life. And I come to Jacob and I think, boy, he reminds me of a lot of people I know. One day, the Lord helped me understand why I dislike him so much. He's a pretty true reflection of a guy I know pretty well. So, you know, you ever have a child that really irritates you? Like you have one of... 
one child that just really have a hard time dealing with, I guarantee you they're more like you than you know. They're a reflection. And we don't like seeing ourselves as we are. God's word, he'll give you a character in that book and you think, oh, go back there and read about that character again. You'll find yourself. But you know one of the things is, God not only shows you the problem, he gives you the solution. The word of Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit is water to wash us clean. I am so encouraged today that I am not what I used to be. I am not today what I was born as. You know, you know why? Number one, Christ redeemed me with his shed blood. Number two, he gave me his word to cleanse me and purify me. And I'm glad for that. You know what? Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. What is our view of ourselves as a church? Are we all together what we ought to be or do we need some more washing? It's the word of God that washes us and cleanses us. And so the purpose of the laver was perception, number one. Number two, purification. Number three, protection. Exodus chapter 30, and don't misunderstand me, under the law, men lived in fear of death. The purpose of this is not fear of death, but may, may I say there's a principle here. When the priests would, would wash as they should, it protected their lives. Spiritual purity gives protection of life. The Bible says in uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse uh, 20, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they Die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn, uh, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Can I ask you a question today? Are there more faithful churches growing and being built in America, or are they dying faster today? We have dying churches. Can I say there's a direct connection to not letting the word of God cleanse us as it should? Filth brings disease and disease brings death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible tells us that we are the temple of God. And, but him that defileth the temple, God will destroy. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man in the church living blatantly, openly in the sin of fornication. Fornication that was not even named in the unbelieving world. And the church, instead of dealing with that and saying, we need that cleansed through the word of God, they were tolerant of that and gloried in their tolerance. That sounds familiar. Paul rebuked him and said, I, I am telling you, you need to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 5, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, there were those in the church who were using the Lord's table to get drunk and be gluttons, and God said some were sick and some were sleeping. You understand if you're saved, your soul is saved, that is a, that is a done thing. But may I say this, the Bible says there is a sin unto death. There are believers in the Bible who've died because of defilement brought into their lives and brought into the local church. You realize there is, there's protection in purity. Can we agree on that today? That's the Bible truth. It's, the, the laver was there for perception. They could see themselves. But then if they mishandled the things of God, God was not going to have his name misrepresented. And some of them would die. Now, again, we don't live in fear of death. That's not my point. But if you're saved, you have assurance of life. Then, friend, today we must understand we can be assured of protection through the purification of God's word. And so then the laver was there for perception of self, purification of what was perceived, protection against judgment, and then finally, of course, for preparation. In closing, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is where we see the New Testament order of if you want to serve God, you've got to be serious about holy living. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure... Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. God knows who are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. So you already, you, you have a profession of faith in Christ. Then back that profession up, not by retaining iniquity, but departing from it. Verse 20, but in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. Hold on. If a man do what? Purge himself. You're going to get washed from these sinful influences. 
If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and what's the next word? Meet. That means appropriate, according to, prepared for. Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You know what God's saying? Getting your life, getting the, 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 putting away iniquity, departing from iniquity, separating from influences that are defiling influences in your life, prepares you for salvation? No, you're already saved. It prepares you for service. You know what? We're going to serve the Lord together in an organized way this afternoon. Some will go and preach and sing in the nursing home, and some will go house to house, and we'll, we'll serve tonight. You're not singing hymns the way to serve. It is very hard to sing hymns that talk about holy living when you know in your conscience you're not living that way. I know by, I know by example. It's hard to do that. Will we ever get done? Can we ever get done with this? Oh, my goodness. Oh, misery. But you know what? A pure life prepares for service. And so we see the plans for the laver, the placement of it after the brazen altar, but before the sanctuary. The purpose, a true, honest perception of self, purification of the filth and the, the, the defilement that was on hands and feet, protection and judgment, and then preparation for service. Those priests weren't just washing so they could say, look how clean I am. No. They were about to go handle the, the unleavened bread, which is a, par, a, por, a picture of God's word. They're about to go offer up incense, a portrait and a picture of prayer. They're about to go trim the lamps, which is a picture of the shining testimony of the word of God and the life lived in obedience. They're handling the things of God, and therefore they wanted to be appropriately prepared to do so. This morning, may I say this, the purity of your life is in direct correlation with the amount of time you spend at the laver. What's your perception of self today? Do you think you see yourself, and do I see myself the way God sees us? There's really only one way. We have to look into this. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, as, water, as, in, face, as, in, as in water, face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. You know, the water gives a reflection of self. There was water in there to see this morning. Maybe God's dealing with you in spe- very specifically, and I, tr- and I pray so. Maybe your relationship with the Word of God has been one of avoidance rather than continuance. Rather than getting in there and saying, okay, I'm going to stay in the Bible until God helps me see myself truly and clearly. And by the way, that's the way. Not, not looking inward, looking here. What's the Word of God say? And when He shows me what's wrong, I'm going to take the same Word that showed me what's wrong with me to clean up. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Maybe this morning, God's speaking to you and say, you know what, number one, you may be here and you've never accepted personally what Jesus did for you on the cross as the payment for your sins. If not, you need salvation. But if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, the laver is exactly where I'm at. I'm saved, but I'm not serving like I should. And God's provided this book to prepare you to serve him. We need nothing more today than Christians who get on fire to serve God. But you know what? You're not going to go in there and handle the bread of life until you go to the laver. Maybe this morning God has shown you, say, no, I got a pretty good picture of me and it's not a pretty one. Then stay in that book until God changes you. Let him apply your word to his life. You say, what do I do? What do I do? Obey what it says. Obey what it says. And then you say, I know I'm saved. Then you know what? Your obedience to the word of God is the cleansing of life.